Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 165. I am your host, Noah Roshetta. Today I'm going to talk about the process of unlearning. Keep in mind, you don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use what you learn to be a better whatever you already are. If you are interested in learning more about Buddhism, check out my book, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners, available on Amazon, or listen to the first five episodes of the podcast. You can find those first five episodes easily by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking on the Start Here link. If you're looking for a community to practice with and to interact with, consider becoming a patron by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking the link to join our community. Alan Watts used to say that a scholar tries to learn something every day, but a student of Buddhism tries to unlearn something every day. I mentioned this in the last podcast episode, and I've had this uh, thought on my mind regarding this quote. What does it mean to unlearn? And I thought it would be fun to share some of my thoughts around this topic. If you look up the definition of learning, learning is the acquisition of knowledge or skills through experience, study, or by being taught. And I like to think of unlearning defined as the surrender of unskillful knowledge or unskillful habits through experience, study, or being taught. So in this sense, why would it be beneficial to surrender knowledge? I like to think of this in the Buddhist context of non-attachment. And think of this again in the context of of truths. In my original book, uh, Secular Buddhism, I talked about how truths come in different flavors, different types of truths. And if I recall, I talked about universal truths, personal truths, and conditioned truths. And as an example, using one simple analogy here with hot sauce, a universal truth would be, uh, for example, hot sauce, when placed on food, makes that food more spicy. That's something that's applicable to uh, any form of measurement. Uh, That is a consistent truth. If you put hot sauce on food, that food is going to be more spicy than if it doesn't have hot sauce on it. Then you have the personal truths. The personal truth may be, for me, hot sauce tastes better on scrambled eggs than ketchup does. And this is a personal truth. I've come to understand that it's personal because I've tested both hot sauce and ketchup on scrambled eggs, and I prefer the taste of um, hot sauce. But I have observed others who have also tested both, my wife actually, (laughs) who prefers ketchup on scrambled eggs and says that tastes better than hot sauce. So it's easy for me to understand, okay, then this is a personal truth. It it works for me. It doesn't work for her. And her truth is the opposite, that ketchup tastes better on scrambled eggs than hot sauce. Then you have the third type of truth, which I call conditioned truth. And these are truths that arise based on uh, views that may be held by a specific group or a specific culture in the context of a specific time. For example, the truth 
may be uh, when someone expresses, well, you're not a real Mexican if you don't eat hot sauce on your food. Now, oddly enough, this is an expression that I've only ever heard among non-Mexicans poking fun at Mexicans who don't like spicy food. But again, these are views that are held within a, a, a certain group. Think of beliefs during the Middle Ages, for example, with regards to the Black Plague and cures for the Black Plague. There was a time that someone would have told you um, that it is a truth that if you have the Black Plague, bloodletting and putting leeches on your body to suck out the, black, the bad blood uh, is a way to treat this uh, disease that's going around. Well, that would be a, an example of, of a conditioned truth um, that in, a, in the context of a certain place and time, people believed that is true. And it, it's not outside of that um, outside of that context. In fact, it's not true when you look at it through the scientific method, but that's how uh, conditioned truths work. Another example of a conditioned truth uh, would be uh, the societal norms or views that we have that say, you know, when a baby is born, you get blue balloons if it's a boy and pink balloons if it's a girl. Therefore, blue is the color of boys, pink is the color of girls, that is a conditioned truth. Now, there is truth to... Uh, you don't need to simply dismiss it because there's no actual truth behind that. It, it would still, depending on who you are congratulating uh, when they have a baby, it may be inappropriate to send them a pink dress if they just had uh, a, a boy or if they um, had a girl to send them uh, whatever the opposite would be, something that's typically viewed as for boys. Um, so, but deep down inside, you know, there's really no truth. It doesn't matter if the baby's wearing a pink dress, whether it's a boy or a girl, it means nothing about anything. It's just a conditioned view. It's a conditioned truth. So those are the three truths, or three ways to look at truths, I should say. And for me, this process of unlearning starts with learning to separate the skillful views that I have versus the unskillful views that I have. And skillful view is the first of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path consists of uh, right view, or skillful view, or wise view, as I like to refer it to. And it's essentially this. It's looking at all the views that you have, the view you have of yourself, of others, of reality, and then putting it through this filter of, is this skillful or is this unskillful? Where did these truths come from? Is this a universal truth? Is it a personal truth that I hold? Is it a conditioned uh, or societal truth that I hold? And unlearning, uh, I want to correlate it to three different things. Uh, the process of, of unlearning correlated first to the notion of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. If you're familiar with this, a growth mindset means you believe that your skills and knowledge can develop or can increase over time, while a fixed mindset means you typically believe that knowledge and or skills are fixed, and if you're not good at something, you might just believe you'll never be good at it. For example, oh, I've tried meditation and I'm not good at it. I'm too easily distracted, therefore meditation is not for me. That may, an ex may be an example of a fixed mindset that, that says, I can't ever be good at this thing. and totally fails to recognize the uh, growth mindset approach would be, well, I can practice it and over time I can be good at it. 
Now I recognize this uh, with really anything, right? Like um, watching the Olympics recently, I was thinking, man, figure skating looks so difficult. But I I know that if I were to spend time doing it, a significant amount of time and a significant amount of practice, I could be good at it. Maybe not an Olympian, but I could be good at it way better than I am now, which is I can't do it at all. Uh, And I think it's easy to think about it like this when we think about skills and knowledge. These are things that you spend time doing and you can get better at them. That is, uh, in a nutshell, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. So for me, the process of unlearning is seeing where I get stuck, where I have the fixed mindset, and unlearning that truth that, oh, I'm, I'm like this, I can never be good at that, um, and unlearning that. So the other context of unlearning, I think, is correlated to habitual reactivity versus skillful action. This is, again, something common in Buddhism, the, the understanding that as we grow up and we start to develop um, habits, we become habitually reactive. So when this happens, I do that. Uh, For example, somebody calls you a name, you feel angry. That's a habitual response. Is there any deep truth in that? No, it's just, it's a conditioned view that you're, um, you're not supposed to be called names. That's maybe a conditioned truth, right? So then when I am, I automatically feel a certain way. And what we're trying to understand here, again, is skillful action may be um, opposite or or a different approach. Uh, Doing what is appropriate for a specific set of circumstances and time is, I guess, what I'm trying to get at here. And you can see this, again, with another quick example would be um, in businesses, you know, especially with technology. Imagine here the difference between Uh, Blockbuster video, for those of you who remember Blockbuster, and Netflix. When Blockbuster at one time was, that was the source where you go to rent movies and you'd walk in there and they would have all the movies that you would want to watch on VHS and you would pick out the movie and rent it and go home and watch it and bring it back. And it was a very successful model, business model, and a very successful company. Now, time and the industry and technology changed things. And then uh, DVDs came along, and Blockbuster evolved uh, for a while and had DVDs as well. And Netflix came around uh, at that time and started with a new model where you didn't have to go to the store. You could go onto a website, which was a a more efficient way to pick the movie you're going to watch, and they would mail it to you. You would get a DVD in the mail. Well, again, as technology continued to evolve... Uh, Netflix evolved with it and changed their model entirely from mailing out DVDs to a streaming platform. And today, it's uh, you, it's almost hard to imagine that it, there was a time when Netflix was sending out DVDs in the mail. You would tell someone this and they'd be like, what? what are you talking about? Netflix is the big giant streaming company where you watch movies online. Well, that wasn't always the case. But again, this is a, the the... Netflix was able to unlearn the model that was working when they realized this isn't going to continue working, so they evolved. And that process of unlearning led to learning and adapting to a new model. That, for me, is, again, at the heart of this notion of unlearning, is uh, being stuck with something the way it is and saying, no, this is how it is. We're going to stick with this because this is how it is. Then um, 
history or um, things around you change and then you don't evolve with it and you fizzle out. That's exactly what happened to Blockbuster versus Netflix. So that's another way of thinking of this process of unlearning. And then the third way is correlating this notion of unlearning to the Buddhist teaching of doubt. And here we have the teaching of Zen master Hakuin Kaku, who said, great doubt, great awakening, small doubt, small awakening, and no doubt, no awakening. And this, this is a, another important uh, thing to have in mind. When we don't doubt, we remain ignorantly sure of ourselves and with blinded certainty of the world around us. Our mind becomes fixed and set with ideas and misconceptions about how things are. And this certainty is precisely what we must drop in order to start, to start experiencing a more skillful view of reality and of ourselves and others. So this notion of unlearning correlated to certainty and doubt. How do we practice unlearning? Well, one method that, again, Zen Master Hakuin uh, used was to the, the expression, is that so? Is that so introduces an element of uncertainty to any scenario. So the idea here is uh, you, the thought arises, this is this and that is that. And then you can add at the end, is that so? Uh, it's a way of inter introducing doubt to everything. And this plays a little bit off of the notion of who knows what is good and what is bad, right? We don't know what's coming next. So is this a good thing? Uh, I don't know. Is it so? Is it a bad thing? Is it so? And this this actually comes into play in a story with Hakuin, where uh, one time uh, a girl whose parents owned a food store uh, that, and lived near Hakuin uh, one day discovered that the girl was pregnant, and the parents were angry at her. She didn't want to confess who it was, who the father was, but after a lot of pressure and harassment uh, for, on behalf of the parents, she finally said it was Hakuin. And the parents were extremely angry, and they went to the Zen master, and his response, is that so? Now, that's all he would say. And here you had the, the child was born, and then the parents brought the child to Hakuin. And by this time, he had essentially lost his reputation of being, you know, the, the Zen master or whatever. He still practiced and did everything he didn't care about his reputation. It didn't trouble him that he had lost that reputation because now everyone's talking behind his back. Oh, that's Hakuin. Yeah, he uh, apparently he's the father of that child. And Hakuin took care of the child. He, he, he took the child. He was able to um, spend time raising the child and doing everything that the child needed. And it wasn't until years later when the girl couldn't stand it any, any longer, this lie she had been living in. And she finally told her parents the truth, that the real father of the child was this young man who worked in the fish market. And, you know, she didn't want him to get in trouble or her, or for whatever reason. I mean, this is just a story. Uh, the mother and father immediately went to Hakuin and they asked him for his forgiveness and apologized and uh, asked if, you know, if they could have the child back. And by now the daughter was willing to be a mother, and Hakuin smiled and willingly yielded the child, saying, is that so? You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that this child now has his or her father. And I think that, again, this is a, a an example of 
allowing ourselves to introduce uncertainty into the equation. Now, this isn't to say that Hakuin was thinking, oh, maybe I am the father. It's not that. He was saying, maybe this is what's best for this child. Uh, I'll go along with it. I mean, my reputation doesn't matter. Like I talked about in the last episode, uh, episode 163, sticks and stones, nothing to defend. Um, I think we see echoes of this. Hakuin was not troubled by the accusations because he knew he had nothing to defend. He knew perfectly well what he had or hadn't done. So he was able to do what felt like the skillful thing, which in this moment was, I'm going to care for this child because this child is probably re is, is rejected at home by a mother who doesn't want to raise it and by uh, grandparents who, who now think poorly of this child because they think it's mine. So this poor child, I'm going to raise it. And that's what he did without any consideration to a story that he had to defend about his honor or his reputation or things like that. So he did what was skillful in that moment. And he also did what was skillful in the moment when it came to return the child. So I think there's a, a neat story to be learned in that. And again, this isn't about, uh, we're not trying to approach these concepts from the perspective of right and wrong. We're approaching from the perspective of doing what is skillful versus unskillful. And to me, that is what is at the heart of this overall teaching of learning versus unlearning. Unlearning is the surrender of unskillful knowledge or unskillful habits through experience, study, or by being taught. That's all I have for this podcast episode, but I look forward to sharing more thoughts in another episode soon. Thank you for listening. Until next time.